Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're talking with two friends and scientists who live in the Bay Area, T and Siraput, about their intertwined journeys from studying science to practicing Buddhism together. Both originally from Thailand, they came to the U.S. to complete their PhDs and they currently both work as data scientists, though their backgrounds are in physics and environmental engineering, respectively. This was a fascinating conversation, and we cover everything from how and why they were attracted to Buddhism, to how they reconciled hesitations between science and spirituality, and the most fun part, how concepts from physics, like relativity and string theory, connect to Buddhism. Here's T and Sarah uh, my name is T. Ponsuk Jaren. Uh, I am 34 years old now. And yeah, I live in uh, yeah, Bay Area, California. Yes. And right now I'm working as a data scientist. Hi, my name is Sira Pat, And I am 28 years old, about to turn 29 in a month. Um, and I also live in the Bay Area. And I'm also a data scientist currently. Awesome. I'm happy to have both of you here. Um, so I know that you have uh, lots of shared history. So um, can you just share, like, how do you know each other? I know you're both from Thailand as well. So whoever wants to start, yeah, feel free. I think I, I can start. So um, <clears throat> basically, we went to the same high school, but uh, at different times. So because we five years apart, right? So yeah, I met him through like a tutoring program through Alumni Association. So I came back to uh, school and then saw Siripat. So that's how we met. Yes. Got it. Awesome. Um, and then you guys also live together, right? You work in the same place and you are roommates now? Yes. Awesome. Yes, that's the truth. <laughs> awesome. So lots in, lots in common. Oh, you're almost like brothers, I guess, huh? Yes, maybe from past lifetime. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Um, okay, well, we'll we'll hear a little bit more about your story. Um, maybe I'll start with you, Sarah Putt. I understand you started practicing Buddhism first. So can you just share kind of how you got introduced to SGI Nietzsche and Buddhism and why did you want to start chanting? Yes, sure. Um, so I was born into a family that uh, my grandmother practiced and my mom also practiced. So... Um, Basically, when my mother had me, she felt like she needed a philosophy in her life to, you know, have a successful delivery. Uh, she wants her child to be healthy and to have uh, something like to anchor her, you know, like as, as like a way to help raise a child. And so my mom started chanting. So as a kid, whenever I have like trouble with friends or kind of feeling down, the first thing my mom would tell me is to like, oh, you can chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Mm -hmm. So I would say like that was the first step when I start to like try it out by myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I start like seriously chanting and, you know, read more and study more about Nichiren Buddhism, it was uh, as a freshman in college. And uh, I got very fortunate to uh, receive a scholarship to travel to the UK to do undergrad. And so in the first semester, I remember uh, it was such a intense kind of a transition. Couldn't 
really understand English or couldn't speak very well. And uh, the class was also very difficult for me to kind of keep up. And I remember feeling uh, very depressed and just uh, almost like kind of throwing the towel and just want to go back and, you know, forget all the dreams. And uh, during that time, I remember one time I was uh, uh, video calling with my mom and I started crying. And my mom was so worried and she really encouraged me to go to a local discussion meetings in the United Kingdom uh, where I study. So from there, I, I, I went to a discussion meeting. And when I hear other people experience, it just gave me like just tremendous hope. Just, I, I was feeling like, wow, if someone can overcome such, you know, hardship and difficulties, maybe with this practice, I can also do it too. That was the time when I uh, decided, you know, to chant every morning. And from there, things really change. Huh. Wow. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. And I feel like that age, you know, like when you're beginning your life and you're beginning your career, you're away from home. It's like the crucial time in many people's lives. And yeah, it sounds like you're very um, fortunate to have this kind of tool available at such a young age. Um, so so I understand that, uh, T, you were introduced then later by Siraput. So you kind of already were practicing, right? And then you guys reconnected here in the U.S. So maybe I can turn to you next. Can you sort of share that story? Like how, how did you guys reconnect? And then how did you sort of start discussing Buddhism? Yes. So, yeah, come to think about it now that Siraput said that he, he you know, starts practice seriously around the age of 19. Uh, the first time I met him, he's still in high school. So that's before, you know, he started practicing seriously. And and to be honest, at, at that time, I didn't really, you know, like recognize him. He's like one of the students in my class when I, when I went back in high school. But I think like throughout the time that like we come to the United States, he, in his case, like UK first and the United States, I think like we do some kind of like email, like interactions, you know, uh, yeah, catching up with each other from time to time. But I think the 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 big event that 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 made me you know like like turning point in my life is uh toward the end of my um uh PhD uh so at that time I'm about to yeah finish my degree but I'm facing a dilemma in my life and then at that time Sirupat moved from UK to United States and then he come to a conference in the Bay Area, which is that where I, where I study. Uh, so we met, like I took him around, you know, uh, seeing the city and so forth. And then we just talk about life, talk about everything. And then it comes down to like, you know, life philosophy. And then, yeah, he share about the practice. And then I, yeah, there's a realization that I got and then I, I, I decided I like to try. Yeah. Wow. I'm just imagining you guys like that day, you know, just walking around and, and talking. Why did you even decide to bring up Buddhism? Like, so if you guys have reconnected, you're talking about life, you're catching up. And then how did Buddhism come up? I first want to hear your side and then I'll go back to you, T, about your, your reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now talking about it, I recall so many more memories. So, so basically when um, T was about to finish his PhD, I remember reading one of his blog posts and it talks about kind of like, you know, when you finish school, it's kind of like a retirement almost like, oh, you know, 
kind of next stage of life, and you leave it to the next generation. That kind of feeling. And uh, so when I knew that I will be traveling to the Bay Area for the conference, um, I wanted to find a gift uh, for T as you know a graduation gift, and I couldn't find any gift that I felt kind of resonated. And uh, one day I I saw this uh, book called the Third Stage of Life. Uh, by Daisaku Ikeda, and I thought, wow, this would be a perfect gift because you know it's a way I can introduce T to, uh, the practice, but also it's kind of like something to tease him that oh he's getting old now, you know now now <laughs> now you're you know finishing your school, so I thought it might be like a perfect gift, you know, like for him to laugh and like maybe get curious about, uh, the Buddhist principle, and then uh, after the conference we met and and T took me around, and then uh. I think in one of the train ride back home from San Francisco City to like South Bay, we start talking about life and and I I remember in that moment, um, I could feel that he was searching for something just much deeper than uh you know just like study or you know work, and I remember feeling very nervous. Because you know, uh, he study science. I I also study science, so I I remember many times when I want to talk about Buddhism to friends. I have this kind of you know feeling in my stomach. Oh, what are they gonna think that I'm super weird? But I remember <laughs> just waging that battle in my heart. Like, oh, if I if I don't share this, then it you know may may leave tea kind of in that space, just like feeling lost and still searching. So I decided that okay, I will just share. Like my true self, that yeah, this is this is what I chant, this is what I practice, and I kind of just said bluntly to T that yeah, T, if you practice this, you can become absolutely happy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Um, and one small note for anybody listening: the book, the third stage of life, is about like your kind of final chapter of life. So that's a hilarious gift, actually, <laughs> to give uh, to give a friend. Um, it's it's a wonderful book actually, but it's like Buddhist advice for kind of that final final stage or final chapter of one's life. Um, but no, thank you so much, Sirapet, for for sharing. I'll go back to you now, T. So this what what we just started to hear from you that you're facing some sort of a dilemma, and I guess even Sirapet could sort of feel a little bit from you that there you were searching for something. What was actually going on, kind of in your life at the time, and and yeah, what was that dilemma? So yeah, towards like my yeah my PhD towards the end, I feel like I accomplished in terms of like my thesis and my education, but I feel lost about like what I'm gonna do next and like what's even the meaning of all this, and yeah, I kind of like re-ex- re-examine uh throughout you know my life what I believe what I you know cherish in my life, and it seems that there are two opposing things that that going on in my life. So on one side, you know, I learned a lot from science, and science, like the the core principle of science, uh, modern science is uh, reductionism. So it means that eventually everything can be broken down to pieces, and then you can explain everything by those pieces. Like for example, like if you study physics, like everything can be broken down to atoms and molecules, and mm-hmm. then that's that. So so if I believe in that. Then it just means that you know the the life itself is just nothing but but atoms and molecules, and that make me feel sad. 
because the author or the author idea that I feel that I cannot explain it, but I feel that is true to me. Uh, is the feeling that I have towards my family and friends. Yeah, I remember there was a time when like my mom, like she, uh, like we cook together and then we talk about how 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 she met my dad. You know that 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 that's such a wonderful feeling that that, that I have that day and and I feel like I just don't want to say that it's just you know it's just like the interaction of like chemical particles those type of things. So so then I know that these two idea is not is not reconcilable uh, at that time, and then I feel like how how should I live with this confusion? And then and then my solution back then is that yeah I just gonna live with it. I just gonna live my life. But when Sirapat come and then he talk about you know like uh this Nam Myoho Horenge Kyo talking about the philosophy of this Buddhism, that 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 cherished life. And and seeing him how he looks so happy when he share like his his confidence, um, yeah. And I see through his eyes that I know that he's speaking in something that he truly believes. And then I come to realization that, wow, there's something that I miss. So mm-hmm. I I start to think like if I gonna believe in something as my core principle in life, I should believe in something that make me happy. And 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 that's like trigger me to to feel like okay I should I should try this practice, so once Sirapat give me that book the third stage of life, um yeah I finish it in like two or three days, um it's not a it's not a big book but the message is so powerful and it's so timely for my life right now so yeah I mean the book is for people who like advanced in age but basically the key message is just, there's no retirement in life. You just enjoy. You just enjoy your life on and on, and then yeah, that that like lead me to you know go to the first Buddhist meetings and also you know receive the Kohan Stone and become a member. Mm. Yeah. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing for sharing that. There's a lot. Um, I'm just processing what you said, and there's a lot to unpack. If it's okay to ask one follow up. Um, mm. It sounds like you know. I'm thinking for people who are listening, like. Who, who don't quite have any kind of life philosophy yet, but they are kind mm-hmm. of looking for um, some way to explain our existence and the purpose of being here. Mm-hmm. Um, they might kind of resonate with you, especially if they're like in a scientific field or just a very like logical, rational person where mm-hmm. it's hard to sort of, um, I don't know, come up with something beyond this is what you see and this is how things work, you know? Um, so I'm just curious for you until that point, did you have some kind of life philosophy like w- were you pursuing science because you felt like you were going to get some sort of answers from science or had you had previous kind of spiritual religious experiences or was it just like i'm looking for something do you know what i mean mm-hmm. yes yeah i think i think my childhood is pretty confusing uh i think you know like growing up in 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 the society where you know like i mean Thailand, like uh, the dominated uh, uh, branch of Buddhism is called Hinayana Buddhism. And there's a very uh, core belief that people like talks a lot, uh, which is the idea of the personal salvation or, you know, Nirvana, where you just like detach yourself from the rest of the world and then you no longer, you know, go through life and death. So that's like a, the the main belief that 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 uphold in in Hinayana Buddhism, 
but I myself, you know, I'm a very curious person and very kind of like uh, almost like argumentative. So I question about about Buddha, you know, who 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 you know, come up with this uh idea, right? So if the true intent of the Buddha, uh, is to seek his personal salvation, so when he gain enlightenment, why did he need to teach other people? Right? Because if that's the eventually this if this is an eventual goal of of uh, of the person who awakened to this truth, he's already finished his job. He just be happy by himself, and he just disappear. Like why does he appear in the history telling the story of teaching other people to become happy? So that's another piece that I feel that is missing in my life too. And then yeah, when I come to hear about Nichiren Buddhism, the idea of like we call like Mahayana Buddhism, the fact that you know the true happiness is cannot be attained by just yourself, you share with other people. That's like deeply, deeply resonate with me. So that's another another kind of like aspect that I feel that I pick up. So I feel like every person you know uh go through life, and they then they did see here and there there are there are pieces that might not fit together. But when they keep searching, and of course, for me, like when I arrived to you know SGI initial and Buddhism, then I think I find I, I found the answer. Mm, yeah, that's very very interesting, especially um, if there's people listening with some familiarity of Buddhism. Yeah, SGI initial Buddhism is a form of Mahayana Buddhism, and it's um, based on the Lotus Sutra. And yeah, it's a hundred percent happiness for oneself and others together. Um, which is why we have a community, which is why we support each other's practice. Um, even our view of karma comes from that kind of basic principle. So yeah, thank you for sharing that context. Um, so before I ask kind of what happened then after you decided to start chanting, um, uh, Sarah, but is there anything else that you wanted to add related to your experience of that kind of conversation where T sort of shared this dilemma with you and you were able to kind of share about the practice? One is that, um, after that conversation, I you know travel back to Los Angeles where I study, and uh, I remember uh, feeling that I really would like to chant for tea happiness every day. <laughs> kind of feeling like wow, he he said he kind of want to check out the intro meeting in the neighborhood in the Bay Area, and I felt like oh because I'm in SoCal, then I couldn't attend the meeting with him, but. At least I can do is to really chant that he would enjoy the meeting and he would find it interesting and that he would, you know, uh, be able to start practicing and just experience tremendous benefit of the practice. I remember I was like so sincerely chanting, <laughs> more, more so than like, you know, chanting for myself. Uh, I, I think that was such a treasure memory for me, just chanting for T to break through and also knowing, uh, you know, kind of his his crucial time, you know, finishing up his PhD and and deciding what's next. Uh, so that was like a golden memory for me. And then the, the second point about that particular conversation, I recall that actually I I had a fever that night on the train ride home, you know, like where, where the conversation uh, happened. Mm. But because of the fever, I kind of, you know, forget all about worrying about my own, you know, <laughs> image and how, you know, T gonna judge me. It's kind of like in that state of, you know, like just being extremely true to myself, whatever I want to say. <laughs> so so when, when I recall that, it's just such a, you know, a, a fun moment for me, like helping me 
it, it kind of helped remind me that, yeah, we never know. And definitely feel thankful for that fever to help me overcome my own, you know, internal barrier. Mm, that's so funny. This is such a good story, this whole, this whole thing. Um, and it actually, yeah, what you're saying is such a testament to what T just shared about practicing for others, because it's very, very rare to to feel like a sense of responsibility and deep care for someone else's happiness. If you notice them feeling something heavy in the world, yeah. you know, it's much easier to just care about yourself and wish the best for others. But in Buddhism, we can chant for our friends and family, which is very empowering in and of itself. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So so then um, I'm curious what happened then. So maybe I can ask each of you this question. I know it's very difficult to unpack on one podcast, all the many experiences I'm sure you've had. But if I can ask each of you maybe like one thing, um, and maybe I'll start with you, T, because I'm very curious kind of what happened next. So once you went to this uh, Buddhist meeting and then you decided to try chanting, what changed? Mm -hmm. Like, how did your life change internally? Um, how would you you know, describe what changed externally. Yeah, what was that experience like? Yeah, I think, yeah, this practice is truly, truly amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have received, you know, so many uh, tangible and intangible benefits. Uh, the first benefit that I got is that, yeah, I, 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 I secured a job uh, in the Bay Area uh, with the job is like fulfilling and yeah, it's like so value creating job. I'm, I'm so proud of that. Uh, beyond that, one episode of experience that I, that truly, truly, you know, like, yeah, take, take my heart is, uh, is, uh, experience about, uh, my father that I have. So I think, uh, that's around like one year, uh, after practicing. Um, so, so just, uh, to give, give you a background. So, um, yeah, when I was in high school, actually around the time that I am about to move to the United States, uh, my father passed away and he uh, actually committed suicide mm -hmm. um, because of uh, the, the financial uh, burden that we have in our family. Uh, our family business like, kind of like go way down and, and he yeah, decided to, to take on his life. And then, and then yeah, I... I I, I left my family uh, to study in the United States. And it's such a, yeah, like it's, it's such a yeah, terrible feeling to, to have, to feel like, you know, I think it's a share um, suffering that we as a family have, like why we let, you know, our, our father, you know, uh, take such an action. And it's, it's just like, it's just like beauty in my life. I just like try to forget about it. Try not to talk about it. It's like a, it's like a family secret. We don't want to share with other people, you know. Um, but uh, but there was a there was a day that is like very very mystic that you know I, I I just like chant and then I dream about about my father. So so in that dream I I attend uh, a SEI meeting uh, with my mom. And then all of a sudden, like my father came and sit in and listen to the, to the discussion meeting. Mm. And then after the meeting, he kind of like called me out and then he, he told me that, um, yeah, this practice sounds amazing. I, 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 it's, it's, it's give me hope and, and I would like to try to practice. So that's, yeah, that's, that's what he, 
he he told me and then my mom hear that and then you know we we embrace each other and then when i woke up i just like cry and then you know like run to the gohan s o n and chant yeah and and i feel that you know all the sufferings that i have kind of like melt away on that day you know i i feel that i feel that there's there's hope uh for my for my father there's hope for my family And then I think it's come to realization to now. I think about it that we just all this in this all these incidents, even though it's like it's like tragic, but at the same time, it represents how much we love and care each other. It's not like you know, it's 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 not necessarily a bad thing in the sense that actually my father loved us so much, and at the same time, everyone in family love each other so much. We just don't know how to react or how to take the situation on, but regardless whether you know my father is passed away already or not, one thing that this Buddhism is ensure is that you know we still exist, we we still you know be able to make cause for each other to be to be happy, and and on that day I I make a determination too that you know I will really you know like, yeah. Practice this Buddhism and share it with other people, so that you know one day my father, you know, can really, you know, practice this Buddhism too. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I'm almost like I don't have words. It's a really, really profound experience, and um, you know, I'm just thinking from the perspective of anyone listening who's very new to Buddhism, but maybe they. Are similarly carrying some sort of um, uh, like grief or worry or just something unresolved in their heart, you know, like this. Did you, when you started practicing, was this something you decided, like I'm going to chant about this and like gaining kind of closure or perspective, or did it just kind of happen naturally? Just in case someone is like, actually, that's exactly how I feel right now. And how did you get from here to there? You know. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's it's interesting because I it never come to my mind by force because as I said, you know, it's it's almost like I try to just like bury it and not thinking about it at all. But I think you know, like practicing and and of course you know, like the power of chatting, uh, open up our life. At the same time, the 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 district that we have, the family that. We have, you know, like uh, when we come to discussion meetings and stuff, it feel like a family. I I think that might be another thing that you know, like kind of like help me or like lead me to you know that 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 event where I see you know like there's so so much love, there's so much care, you know, as a family, and then that leads me to think about my own family too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I understand. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, that's that's incredibly. Profound transformation. Um, I I want to also actually ask you, uh, Sarah Put, because I I recall when we were first speaking, you also sort of had a in a different way, just like family related transformations. Um, and in your case, you were introduced by your mom. But I, um, yeah, I'm wondering if there's any kind of one experience that you might want to share where you really started, where you saw you know a, a change in your life based on based on you chanting internally or externally. Yes. Um... So, as I mentioned, I uh, start kind of chanting consistently um, in college. So as a single child, I I always feel like I really want to help my 
family, you know, overcome their uh, financial challenges and like many uh, kind of relationship issue among, you know, relatives. Mm-hmm. And I, I always carry this kind of heavy load on my shoulder that I, I need to succeed in my study for the brighter future. But I was really kind of like a sad and, you know, kind of gloomy person. But I remember when I start practicing for the first time, I can feel at ease with myself that I can accept myself just as I am, regardless of, you know, how well I do, you know, academically and not judge myself or beat myself up. So that was like the first feeling like, wow, there's something to this that I, I can feel it, you know, through this experiment. I really want to understand why and, you know, what is the STI, like who is Daisaku Ikeda and why do we practice the Lotus Sutra, you know, or Nam Myoho Renge-kyo. So that's like a first kind of benefit uh, from chanting. Uh, that was like, and, and you know, I, I was able to succe- very successfully graduated uh, from college and then uh, actually came to the U.S. to did uh, graduate study. Um, on, a, on a kind of a deeper level, I would say like throughout the past eight years of my practice, I can see that uh, I, I can appreciate my parents uh, much more. I think in the past, you know, sometimes I, I feel like although I, you know, my mom and I love each other so much, but we couldn't talk more than like 10 minutes before like getting into some kind of argument. Just, you know, like kind of, <laughs> I was like a debating our ideas, who is right, who is wrong. But I think over the times, um, like reading, you know, Ikeda Sensei guidance and, you know, practicing in the SGI, like supporting other members behind the scene, it kind of naturally, before I know it, 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 it really helped me see certain aspect of myself that was causing me suffering. Things like, you know, my ego or my arrogance or my, or my judgmental, you know, kind of nature towards my parents and the, the resentment that I hold deep down that, Oh, I, you know, um, my parents could have done better, you know, th- those kind of, you know, very uh, selfish feeling. But I think Buddhism really helped me, like, look at the good side, you know, and see like the goodness. And like, wow, even amidst all those financial challenges, my, my parents did their very best to mm-hmm. ensure that I can, you know, have enough to eat, like, sleep well and you know, can, can, uh, can study. And, and, and ultimately it's my mom who helped me to, you know, learn about this practice. So I, I, uh, you know, owe so much debt of gratitude to my mom. And it's really true. The Buddhist practice has kind of helped me overcome that like barrier in, inside my heart. And it's still, you know, an ongoing struggle, but I think I'm, I'm getting much better. I'm, I'm really determined, you know, to continue like, polishing myself and and really uh like like sensei said you know be be uh, someone who can like make their moms become happy you know hearing both of you share these these experiences really makes me um uh think of like how real it is and and i'm so glad that you mentioned it earlier t that like mm. um you know like Chanting, of course, it unlocks our Buddha nature or our Buddha ability, right? All like the tremendous potential we have in our life for compassion and courage and wisdom. But like it is the community and it's working with other people that 
allows us to do what we call human revolution or inner transformation. Like you can't practice Buddhism by yourself. Like it's the community, it's supporting with others, it's the discomfort, it's in your case, like you shared, you know, maybe it, it brings up things that are unresolved in your life. Maybe it makes you self-reflect. Um, and then you can extend that to really improve all of your relationships. And and so thank you both. I feel like those are incredible examples of exactly why it's it's a community-oriented practice and an individual practice. Um, so yeah, I have so many questions, but I want to make sure that we kind of talk about some uh, kind of unique opportunity. I can I can pick your guys's brain because I don't often get to do this, but you're you're both scientists, and so I never get to um, really ask anyone this. So if you're up for it, I wanted to um, just talk a little bit more about Buddhism and science because um, you know in my experience, or at least in my own friends and stuff those who are scientifically trained or logically minded often don't really have a spiritual practice. Um, but I think you've made very clear, it doesn't matter what you do or who you are, but you know, we all just deserve to be happy and be the best versions of ourselves. So in that regard, you know, Buddhism is really for everybody. Um, but at the same time, I also know that there are many concepts in Buddhism that actually are similar to science. Like it's, they're not two different things, right? Because we're not praying for salvation or some external thing. We're activating forces in our own life uh, that are already kind of there. So I'm wondering um, if each of you have any sort of like favorite um, scientific concept that you feel like resonates with Buddhism or Buddhist concept that you feel like resonates with science just on your own journey of, of studying that you're like, you know, I already like like to study this stuff and this sort of clicked for me and, and I really enjoy it. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I can go first because I know T, T know a lot more than me. So in case I, I share, he, he can pick something else, you know. Okay, okay, uh, yeah, sure. Yes, uh, one concept that comes to mind is um, the concept of rel relativity in physics. And uh, it was uh, first uh, kind of discovered and expounded by, uh, you know, none other than Albert Einstein. And, and this concept talks about like the the concept of time, you know, the, the way we perceive or measure time depends on the, the frame of the measurement, you know, the, the frame that the observer sit in. So, you know, um, to, to kind of put it in, in a layman term, like there is this uh, very famous quote from Einstein that say like, um, if, you know, you, you sit and talk to someone you like for like two hours, it felt like, you know, two seconds. Uh, but, you know, if you put your hand on a hot plate for two seconds, it felt like two hours. <laughs> so essentially, this, this kind of like time is, you know, like time duration is not like an absolute thing. It is relative, depending on how we view it or the, the, the frame of mind that we view it. And mm -hmm. I think in Buddhism, um, you know, there is this concept of, for, you know, things that are happening in our life, Depending on our life condition, depending on our state of life, we we make the meaning of that differently. We we you know we approach it differently. Uh, also linked to time too. You know, I think there's a very kind of a common struggle, like how how to maximize time. And I remember reading from Ikeda Sensei guidance. He talks about like depending on like kind of your determination, your life condition, your life force, you can accomplish. You know different amount of things like in the same time, you know, for someone who was so focused or versus, you know, when we are not so focused. Hmm. I think that that's still something that I 
you know, I, I really like this concept because I have experienced like there were times, you know, in my study when, uh, you know, I accomplished so little within a week just because I was like, my mind was everywhere. And there, there was also time when I was like writing my thesis when I was like so determined and was chanting every morning. And it felt like, you know, each day I can, I can accomplish so much. I feel so fulfilled at the end of the day. So it's really like depends on like how I approach the day. Hmm. Um, another example that kind of linked to this is when in the past, you know, sometimes like I try to talk to my mom to just make a mutual understanding and it lasts for like two hours. And at the end of that call, we still don't understand each other. Whereas, you know, there were times when like, you know, depending on my life condition, sometimes just even like a five minutes phone call, we can like bond so much and understand each other. Mm. So this concept of relativity, I, I think is like such a profound uh, concept that Einstein you know, discovered. Mm. And I feel like it's, it's kind of revealing the, if you will, it's like a kind of fundamental principle, like rhythm within the universe, how, how we perceive time. Yeah, that's really awesome. Actually, example, I totally know what you mean. Thank you for, for sharing that. Because, I mean, it's almost as if you can like control the relative experience when you chant. Um, exactly yes. it's funny actually yeah yeah hearing you say that I, I remember when I was like first dating my husband I um we, we were both so busy like we just our schedules just didn't match and we never had time to see each other and I remember talking to a, a Buddhist friend for advice and she was like you know that based on your life state you can make two hours together feel like not enough time or you can make two hours together feel like the most fulfilling long day together, which is basically what you're saying. So, I, and I, I remember I was like, I should really be chanting to like have that kind of experience of the limited time we have together. And it totally changed our relationship, actually. Um, so that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much wow. for sharing. Yeah, yeah, you go, Jihee. You, you, you master the concept <laughs> of relativity. Thank you so much, Sarah Pitt, for sharing. So, yeah, T, is there? Um, is something you want to add to that or is there like another concept uh, yeah, that you want to yeah. share? Yeah, I have, I have a concept to share, but, but would like to add on to that about relativity. I think one thing that people, many people uh, misunderstood relativity is that, uh, and also many concepts in, in physics, they, like when we talk about this type of like something relative and then, and then people misunderstood that everything is relative. There's mm-hmm. something that they cannot rely on. You know, like now that everything is relative, then what, what is there anything that is absolute? And actually in relativity, there is something that uh, absolute, which is like the speed of light. So, I mean, I don't want to go into detail, but basically there's a, there's a quantity that no matter your speed or your frame of mind is, it's going to measure this same thing to be equal. And I feel that the, the counterpart of that in our Buddhism is the mystic law regardless of all the things that you think that is constantly changing, things like get impermanent, sometimes things go up, sometimes go down. There's something that is constant in your life that you can always hold on to. That's that's Dhammyo Horenge Kyo that you shared. And I feel that's that's very important. Yeah, so mm. I just like kind of like add that add, add into that. Mm. And then another concept that I, I really, uh, I mean, some people say that it's not like a scientific 
theory yet because no one can prove it. But it's it's quite an advancement in science when people try to imagine uh, what kind of theory that we can use to explain the whole universe, not just a part of it. And it's called a uh, string theory. So basically, the idea is that rather than you know explain things as atoms and molecules, and then we need to break things down into even more fundamental uh, particles. Uh, there's a concept that says that actually everything can be um, conceptualized as a string. So a string is an object that is infinitely, um, almost infinitely small, but it extends infinitely to to the size of the universe. And there are also some, you know, uh, shapes and form that is become a brain. So it's become like a sheet that expand throughout the universe, and based on how they vibrate, hmm. they become into like different entities. It become, you know, atoms. It become force. It become this and that. There's a frequency that you know all things are, you know, like a uh, behave, and at those like at the edge of the universe or wherever part of the universe. Those strings and brains interact, mm. and and I feel that is so wonderful that you know, like in our Buddhist practice, like in in the concept of Buddhism, when we say that you know, like when we chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, it reaches to the end of the universe, and mm. actually there's like like a scientific theory postulates that say something similar that actually you know the interaction that 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 we have is not just limited. To the things that we can see, or just like the shortest tense that we can see, actually things like share so much in common, and it is also reaches you know to to the furthest end of the universe too. So so when I aware of that, you know, like chanting Nabihore Kyo is 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 quite a joyful experience, you know, to realize that you know like whatever whatever the cause that you make, you know, both like chanting and also what you manifest in your daily life, is permeates. Mm-hmm. It's really pervious based on that that kind of like a scientific theory. Wow, that's really crazy to think about. But it, yeah, it makes me think of um, yeah, the interconnectedness of life. Um, and it also does explain why, like uh, Sarah put you chanting for tea that day when you had a conversation for his happiness, or tea you you know like chanting for your dad's happiness, who's no longer on Earth but still connected to you. Um, you know, or even changing the relationships with the people that are with us, like Sarah put you and your mom, like all of it makes sense if you think about it that way. That's awesome. Thank you both for sharing. I never get to do that. Um, I wish we could spend a whole hour kind of just talking about Buddhist concepts. Um, But I'm wondering, so, you know, so far we've discussed kind of um, aspects of Buddhism that, you know, resonate with science. And then you've each shared kind of what chanting has really done for your own life. Um, But I'm wondering, um, you know, so much of Buddhism is also steady. So in terms of just developing your own perspective on your life or your work or um, understanding Buddhism a little bit more, do you guys have like favorite quotes or concepts, um, a piece of writing, anything that you really hold on to from Buddhism? Whoever wants to share first is okay. Uh, maybe I can go first again. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the the study series that really helped me develop more understanding of Buddhism is called uh, Wisdom of the Lotus Sutra series. Mm. Um, but today I, I thought that maybe I can return to the the very first quote that I read from uh, Daisaku Ikeda. Yeah, sure. Uh, when, when, when I was, you know, in uh, primary school and kind of like just try to 
uh, make sense of everything in my life. And when I first kind of, you know, kind of like my first book uh, from the Buddhist community is called The Discussion on Youth. And in, it's like a dialogue between, uh, you know, Ikeda Sensei and like uh, some youth in the SCI. And there's one section where Sensei talks about family. And I, I remember like as a kid, I was, you know, always have this question, why, why were I born into this family? And my friend, you know, in other type of family, I, I couldn't like find a solution or like, you know, solve that puzzle in my head and my heart. But um, there's this uh, two paragraph passage that it, it has always uh, stayed with me and always encouraged me um, to move forward. And uh, Sensei writes, uh, you may wonder why you were born into your family, uh, you know, or why you are not blessed with a more beautiful home or a better family. You may even want to run away from home. But the fact is, you were born to this particular family in this particular place on this planet Earth. You were not born into any other family. This fact encompasses the meaning of everything. In Buddhism, nothing happens by chance. Everything has meaning. Please be convinced that you already possess every treasure. It's vital to recognize that no matter how difficult your situation may be, you are alive now. There's no treasure more precious than life itself. Furthermore, you are still young and blessed with a youthful spirit, the greatest treasure of the universe. Please do not destroy or harm that treasure by giving way to feeling of despair. Uh, it's kind of the passage I always go back you know, again and again, and not only things about family, but also like other aspects, you know, like health or like, you know, uh, work or like friendship. I, I think this passage when it's, you know, since I say like the, the fact that we face certain things is, is already encompasses the meaning of everything. So Buddhism is always like, it's kind of like, what can I do from this moment onward then? Hmm. And, and uh, I, I feel this, this passage really helped me tremendously to uh, really treasure my own life and really treasure my own family and have appreciation uh, for everything. You know, so sometimes I, I can easily forget you know, to appreciate things. So this passage is like kind of my go-to and always uh, help me become more humble. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. I really love that. And it, it like really shifts you away from thinking, why me into what can I do, which mm. is essentially the point of Buddhism. Um, yeah, I love that. And also now, ever since T just shared what he shared about the concept, I'm just like thinking of everything through that lens and the that part, you know, the treasures of the universe being your life. It is like the vast potential of the universe is in our life. That's another way to describe Buddhability. So sorry, I'm having like a slow reaction <laughs> of understanding. <laughs> but it's so awesome. Yeah, that's, that's uh, amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, T, how about you? Is there any writing or quote or something that you really hold on to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, one thing that I like to share is that when I start practicing, I'm, at that time, I'm still looking for a job. So I just read everything that comes into my mailbox. And I think that's, that's a treasure. I feel like, you know, as a person who, you know, like we are curious and, you know, scientific mind, you know, I think like study is truly, you know, a treasure when we dig deeper, just want, want to share that. Um, mm. Yeah, but the, the, the quote that, uh, that I jot down in my notebook and when I chant, I also, you know, try to imagine this too when I chant. So this quote is from uh, Jose Toda. He is a mentor of our mentor. 
uh, Daisoku Ikeda, and he shared this uh, this passage. He said that the infinite power of the mystic law is like lying sprawl on your back in a wide open space, looking up at the sky. All that you wish for immediately appears. No matter how much you may give away, there is always more. It never exhausts. Try and see if you can attain this state of life. And yeah, as I share, you know, like I'm, you know, like physicist and you know, space and everything. And when I read this, I feel like it's so reassuring that you know whatever we need for 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 us to be happy, it's already here. It's just our determination and open our heart to grasp it. That's it. And and it's and it's so much more than that too, you know. Like that's mm-hmm. an exciting thing as a scientist too, you know. That we want to, you know, like see what what else is there. And I I feel that when we say that the the true happiness is like true, you know, like being able to help other people. I feel that that there's more definitely. There's mm-hmm. more that we can do. I love that. Yeah, that is. You know, when I when I decided to really consistently chant uh, myself, I that, like one of the kind of main motivators is that like by the end of my life, like how much life can I experience? It is really cool to see like, what is a human being capable of? You know, how much can I see? So I I love that one too. Um, Before I ask my very last question, I did want to follow up on the the dilemma that you shared in the beginning, um, Mm -hmm. you know, between sort of this like scientific mindset and then just happiness and these kind of inexplicable human relationships and Mm -hmm. emotions. Um, How do you see like now that you've been practicing Buddhism for a while, like how do you see it um, sort of impacting your life or perspective as a scientist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think the solution that I found is that, yeah, the, the assumption about reductionism is incomplete, basically. So we cannot explain everything by just saying that everything can be broken down and then, you know, that's it. I think the, the 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 right assumption that we should take, and I believe that is also, you know, Nichiren uh, Buddhism based on, is that life is the most fundamental. Like life itself is the most fundamental entity in the universe. And whatever we do is the manifestation to help life to feel joy, to feel the sense of, you know, happiness and interconnectedness. And then in that sense, you know, any scientific discovery that come into being, it's just a medium. It's just like a manifestation of ways that life interact. So if we base our scientific, you know, discovery or our way of thinking that way, then we will never have like a nuclear weapon. We will, we will never have anything that is harmful because like your intuition is driven by life affirming philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then whatever that's come into to existence, that, that you see, even like things that come like a, like say, for example, like natural disasters, whatever it is, but it become a way that we can even strengthen that philosophy that we uphold that life is the most important. And then we can advance scientifically without, you know, just focus on material things. It's just like, yeah, it's just like, mm. yeah, the, 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 the most fundamental uh, belief that we have transform everything that we perceive and would like to pursue on yeah yeah so so basically like um if i'm understanding you correctly it's like Mm -hmm. 
this, if the starting point is a life affirming philosophy like Buddhism, <laughs> then it becomes a guide for scientific inquiry and yes. in a way that protects and serves life instead of not yeah. really being based on anything. <laughs> And and then you can feel that your love to your parents, your love to your friends is true. It's not. Mm. It's it's. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, try to explain it anywhere else because it's the fun, the most fundamental thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That makes sense. I think that actually can also just be such a helpful guide for so many industries, not just science. Um, but anyway, okay, so let me move to the final question. So I always close with this question. I'll ask each of you, and maybe I'll start with you on this one, uh, Sarah, but, but um, I always like to end with advice. And in your cases, uh, kind of you shared this at the very beginning, like sharing Buddhism with friends who are scientists kind of makes you or used to make you a little bit nervous. Um, like, what will they think? Um, so I'm sure you're not the only one who's ever felt that way. So I'm wondering, especially for someone who's, more logically minded um, or comes from like a community that really values logic and science above all, it could be difficult to grasp toward a practice that feels spiritual. So what advice would you share with somebody who's new to Buddhism and is interested, you know, but um, maybe sort of has some of those, those thoughts or hesitations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of two, two things that come to mind. One is I think, you know, in science itself, like we 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 find out about truth by experimenting, and you know observing the result, and then you know also like at the same time, right, simultaneously try to understand the principle underlying why we see such phenomena. Hmm. So I, I would say like um, it, it's very important to to also try chanting, you know, and experiencing um, the the effect of the chanting, you know, the the benefit it brings. Uh, and the the other aspect is, uh, I you know through throughout kind of my struggle and you know the journey like to to you know study and also like just really try to break through to create harmony in in my family and also you know finding out like my you know purpose in life, I feel like um, logic alone cannot solve every single problem, but it it must be like. Uh, accompanied by humanism as well, you know the the logic, the 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 principle we study in science in maths, uh, when it's combined with humanism, then uh, it it gives such a much clearer purpose of why we do things, and it it also helps solve you know ma- many problems that uh, our family or you know humanity or society might be facing. So, uh, I think my advice like really you know. Uh, if you haven't, you know, try to attend, you know, one of the SDI district meetings, it's like you, you expose yourself, you know, uh, to, to see the humanism and mm. like the warmth uh, of like so many uh, amazing, uh, wonderful people. I think that will then make uh, our kind of discovery and logic even more complete. And then we can create so much values of, of the work we do. I think one thing that I just come to realize recently because we're going to have this interview is that, you know, like logic alone, it just contains it itself, but it doesn't like open up to explain anything beyond that, really. It needs to connect with your experience. And I feel that, and I feel that 
yeah, that's why we shan't. <laughs> so that we we truly uh, experience it. And one thing that uh, I I recently read another book by our mentor. Uh, he talks about the uh, intuition. Many many scientific uh, discovery. I mean, the discovery itself is is definitely logical experiment confirm this and that. But the process that you get that idea, where is it from? It's just so difficult to argue by just like scientific way how that idea come from. Basically, what is the intuition? Like why you come up with this idea? And I, and I would say that yeah, when when we when we if if you would like to start practicing uh, Buddhism or any kind of life philosophy, you just follow your heart. Mm. You just follow your own intuition, and experience it. You need to add that experience. You need to add that intuition to enhance your logic, to enhance your scientific mind, so that you can truly, truly, you know, like enjoy life in any aspect of your life. Before we close, I want to share the passage from Jose Toda that T shared one more time because it's one of my favorite quotes and such an incredible description of the life state we can tap into when we bring out the bootability within. He writes, "It is like lying on your back in a wide open space, looking up at the sky with arms and legs outstretched. All that you wish for immediately appears." No matter how much you may give away, there is always more. It is never exhausted. Try and see if you can attain this state of life. In other words, such an expansive view toward our own life can fuel us through all of our toughest challenges, spur us on toward our most impossible dreams, and allow us to create the most enriching relationships for the sake of ourselves and the happiness of other people. It all starts with chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. On that note, for those who are new to chanting, a friendly reminder that our 31-day chanting challenge is still happening through February 18th. So if you'd like to join, you can sign up at the link in the show notes. And if you've already been chanting and want to connect to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect@sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.